0: So, I mean, you can say he's a liar. You can say he's crazy, but you can't say he's just a good teacher. And so what I want to tell young people is you have to do something with Jesus. You have to look at him. You have to see who he was. You have to research, do the investigation of who he was. And ultimately, I think you get to a place where you're like, well, he's not just he's not just like Muhammad. He's not just like um, the Hindu gods, like he's different. So I think that's the uniqueness of Jesus is the first place that I want to go.
1: As America is becoming more post-Christian, there is an increasing number of students who have never heard the gospel, let alone who Jesus Christ is. If a student has not put their faith in Christ by the time they graduate, statistics say they probably never will. These are our future leaders. The social, scientific, and spiritual theories of today's campuses will become the accepted norm for tomorrow's grad schools, businesses, and television programs. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We want to welcome you to the show today as we welcome Ryan Abone from Mission Church. And we're going to discover more about Mission Church. Ryan, it's good to have you actually back on the show. Yeah, it's great to be back. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Talking before going on mics here and realize it's been, what, about three years? I think it was just right before the pandemic. Maybe, Maybe
0: you... not, because I had already had my trainer role, and that was during the pandemic. So okay. I think it might have been a few months after that, but I don't know. It's hard to keep up Man, sometimes. the last two years <laughs> have felt like 10 years, so I don't know. <laughs> but I know so
1: much has happened in your life, because when we talked last time, you were working in a professional career as a trainer. Right. And you did a lot of traveling. Yeah. I guess you're still kind of training, but in a different aspect now. <laughs> different,
0: different product, yeah. God's
1: called you in the ministry.
0: Yeah. Long story short, there's a lot of things you could say. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I was keen in on growing in the business world and continuing to um, train salespeople and do what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do at the time. And then uh, through a bunch of different circumstances, I felt like he was leading me towards uh, ministry and went to seminary and then still did my corporate role actually while I was in school for about six months, and then the Lord opened up an opportunity for yeah. a full-time ministry. So it's just weird how yeah. he did
1: it. You're on staff at, when I say Mission Church, I yep. want to kind of explain that because some folks might, what is Mission Church?
0: Yeah, technically, uh, <laughs> I guess it's the first week of Mission Church. So High Point Church in East Memphis, I've been uh, on staff for coming up on two years here soon, um, maybe a year and a half. But anyway... Um, about three months ago, our lead pastor, Will Franco, and the elders announced uh, we were going to have a name change to Mission Church. So we were high point for, you've been there, what, 20 years? i been about 13 yeah. years, but the yeah, church, is, the church kind of, is about 20 years old. About 20 about, years, about 20 old. years yeah. old, yeah. So um, this is obviously new, but they wanted to have sort of a slower transition. So um, the last few months, they've uh, just allowed the congregation to get used to it all the stuff that goes into a name change, the building and the signs and all that stuff. So they wanted a process, and it's been really cool to see just how the Lord's worked through that. So
1: So when you talk about mission church, that Mm -hmm. defines some of the values, the mission. I know it's built upon a good foundation. A lot of lives changed. Yeah. A lot of ministry done in the past 20 years. Absolutely. But I think as the church has made some changes over
0: the past three years, Mm -hmm.
1: this better reflects its mission going forward, I guess.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Pastor Will and the elders will tell you it's it's based on the Great Commission. Um, we want to be a church that has a great message, which we do, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to do what Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission, which is to go Made disciples of all nations. So yeah, it's it's very simple, um, but yeah, it's so profound. That's so we're going your
1: with. role as the young adults director, what mm-hmm.
0: does that entail? What does that look like? Basically, so some churches do like a college ministry separately, and then a sort of young professional ministry. We combine it. That's just kind of how the Lord uh, worked it out over the few years. I don't know if that was the long. I don't know if that was the original goal. I think we were just. Five or six years ago when the the young adults ministry was started, um, it started out some college, some young professionals, and then just turned into that. So our age range for the ministry is 18 to 29 which is a broad range, Um, but essentially it is um, 20-somethings was originally the idea behind the ministry was we want to minister to the 20-somethings in city Memphis. And then, uh, yeah, it just turned into college and young professionals.
1: Ryan, according to a Barna group, January of 2022, roughly 70% of high school students who enter college as professing Christians will leave with little to no faith. These students usually don't return to faith even after graduation. There are many reasons for this staggering statistic, but it falls basically on two categories, according to Barna. First, their faith is not strong enough to withstand the attack it is facing, from agnostic roommates to atheist professors, and a smorgasbord of debauchery to choose from. Faith in college is under a constant siege. The second thing is that the faith is too shallow or not their own. For most students moving into college, a huge reason they went to church was because of their parents, and they have not thought about... Why they have faith or why they believe what they believe, coupling these two factors really creates this spiritual graveyard in most college campuses
0: yeah, absolutely um that is um that seems very accurate to sort of my experience in talking with college students. I would say that one statistic you mentioned about it not being their own faith um it's sort of you know they grew up going to church it's sort of their parents' faith in a way, Um, I don't want to make that a bad thing. Like, it's a great, we're called as Christian parents are called to teach their children the way of the Lord, right? And to raise them up in the way of the Lord. So, I mean, that's a great thing. And I think what can happen is a lot of times kids, because it's just always been a part of their lives. They don't um, ever ask the questions of, do I actually really believe this? And then I think if you kind of look at the church uh, over the last few decades, especially, I don't think the church has really done a great job of accepting questions from kids. I think a lot of times um, parents, because of the change in culture, and we'll talk about that more in a second, but I think their generation, the church they grew up in is different. Than the culture now, and the um, what what the students are facing now, and so a lot of the questions that maybe their parents had are not the same questions, and so yeah. it's a challenge to, and again, we'll talk about that more in a second, sure. but it's a challenge to communicate the the gospel and the things of God to a new generation. Why don't we just kind of stop here for a second,
1: talk about the gospel itself, yeah. because what our parents are believing might not be the gospel. Right. What the child might be following is I go to church on Sunday because my grandma did, and that's Mm -hmm. why my mom goes, and it's just a habit or a routine, something we do. Right. Let's define when we talk about not just going to church or being religious, but what the gospel is and
0: what the intent of the gospel is for us as humans. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um, What I don't want to do is I don't want to paint a broad brush and say, all parents do this, right? No, not at all. Um, And I know you're not doing that. I'm just saying, when we talk about a lot of kids grow up in homes that really they're not taught the true gospel, they maybe are even taught the explicit truth, like, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Um, But they're not talking about the gospel of grace, which is the implications of the gospel, that you're not saved by being a good person. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by what Jesus did for you, right? So that grace, that that's the real uniqueness of the gospel is you're not saved by what you do for God. You're saved because God came to you through Jesus and he lived the life he couldn't live, died the death you deserve, and then was raised. And so oftentimes I think we think the gospel. Gets us into the kingdom, or it sort of starts our journey with God, and then we take it from there. And that's not just in parents' homes, that's all over the place. But I think a lot of times what kids hear growing up is don't do this. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. Don't. It's all behavior based, yep, right? It's yep, yep. stay out of trouble. Right. You're a good kid. Do the right things. Um, and so they grow up thinking that that's the gospel. And
1: those are all things we don't want our kids. Absolutely, yeah. We yeah. are not
0: advocating <laughs> <laughs> drinking, going out and getting drunk, or going out and doing that kind of behavior. Right. We're saying. Um, A lot of times the guarding of parents in that behavior becomes, oh, this is how I'm saved, is I'm saved by being a good person. So then it becomes – it's just a religion – then Christianity just becomes a religion just like all other religions that – I'm just trying to be a good person and this this is my sort of way to God. Right. Right. Well, could it be also that this disparity of communicating our faith
1: has its roots in the poor example that we as parents are giving our kids by not consistently and actively seeking to make disciples in mm. our own lives. Not that we don't have the faith, but right. but that we're not giving it away and showing our kids how we do that.
0: Right. And how they can engage, you know, their yeah. peers. Well, and not only that you're, I think parents forget that, yeah, I think a long time in the church in America, there was sort of a understanding that, or there was sort of a a notion that that's the church's job. Like the church's job is to make disciples and the church's job is to teach my kids about Jesus. When really you're the primary, as parents, you're the primary disciple makers of your kids. (laughs) Like they're, they're in your home, they're under your authority they're not under technically the church's authority till they're adults, right? They're under in your home. Um, so you have your kids right there to make disciples. And then, yeah, you're right. If you're not modeling that, like, I mean, you're still called to make disciples of other people and where you live, your workplace, your um, where you go in, in the city and, and all that stuff. So whatever your stream of life is in, you're called to make disciples as a Christian. But if you're not modeling that, either with your kids or with, uh, or with the people in your lives, then, yeah, it's going to be hard to sort of just make that transition all of a sudden.
1: Where is the gospel barometer setting on the young adults that you minister to at Mission Church?
0: So one thing I think will be helpful is, um, you know, we talked about contextualization a yeah. little bit. This probably is a good time just to, for people that don't know what that means. Um, contextualization just simply means communicating the gospel of Jesus in the language of a culture. So every culture, every people group has a culture, right? They have a way of language. They have a way of communicating. They have values. They have traditions. Uh, Every people group on the earth has that. Well, so when the gospel, when you're living in a culture, the explicit truth of the gospel, the, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ doesn't change, but the way that you communicate that might change. And so we'll talk about that more probably in a second here, but What I'm seeing, at least, from college kids is they have a—if they grew up—whether they grew up in church or not, typically the the, perspective—the label of Christianity is it's just like other religions. It's you go to church, or just like a a Muslim would go to their mosque, a Jew would go to their synagogue, you go to church, you do things, you obey rules. It's like, you've got your truth, I've got my truth. Oh, yeah. Everybody has their own truth. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. They think that— when they come into the church, at least in our, in our area, um, typically their perspective is if they're not a Christian already, it's Christianity is just like every other religion. And so you want to talk about, obviously you want to get to the gospel to explain the gospel is different. Jesus is different. And it comes down to the person of Christ. Um, who was he? Because, even non-Christians would agree that Jesus was a real person, right? He's a real historical person. Non-biblical sources from the first century confirm Jesus of Nazareth dying on a cross under Pontius Pilate. Like, that's not a debate. So, then the question becomes, okay, well, if he was a real person, then who was he? You have to look at his claims. You have to look at his life. You have to look at his character. So, ultimately, you're trying to point them to this isn't just another man-made religion. This is a man who claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to have come and die. Like he said, I came to be a, a ransom for many to come and save sinners. So if you, if you add up the claims of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and ultimately what he did, which was die on a cross, I want to tell young people, you can't just put him in the middle, right? Like he, yep. can't, he can't just be another religious founder. He can't just be another teacher because he didn't claim that. He claimed to be different. He claimed he's the only religious founder to have ever claimed to be God in the flesh. Like that doesn't happen all the time. So I think a lot of times, uh, even, you know, the secular world and even young people who grow up in the secular world, they want to just put Jesus off as a good teacher. And he doesn't allow you to do that with his claims. So, I mean, you can say he's a liar. You can say he's crazy, but you can't say he's just a good teacher. And so what I want to tell young people is... You have to do something with Jesus. You have to look at him. You have to see who he was. You have to research. Do the investigation of who he was. And ultimately I think you get to a place where you're like, well, he's not just he's not just like Muhammad. He's not just like um, the Hindu gods, like he's different. So I think that's the uniqueness of Jesus is the first place that I want to go to.
1: I like what you're saying about contextualizing to really a post-Christian culture where we find ourselves today Yeah, uh, that communicates the message. In his book, Peace Child, Don Richardson tells of his effort to bring the gospel to the Sawis. I'm not sure I'm saying their name right, but yeah. these are a tribe of headhunters in Papua New Guinea. He faced tremendous obstacles in a culture that honored deceit and betrayal. And so, when they first heard the gospel, the natives saw Judas Iscariot as the hero of the story. Mm. To bridge the gap between the Sawi worldview and God's message of love, Richardson had to contextualize the message. Through much prayer, hard work, and persistence, Richardson was able to find the key to unlock the Sawi culture and present the gospel of Jesus in a way that they could truly understand. Yeah. The result of that was a jungle church was established, <laughs> and some of the Sawi
0: began evangelizing neighboring tribes. There you go. Here's a good example, right? Right. It's a great example. Um, yeah. So in that example, uh, so every culture, um, this is actually super interesting to think about. If you think about all the cultures in the world, every culture gives its members sort of a, an identity formation. Meaning, what do what makes me a productive person? What makes me a person of value? What what gives my life meaning? Well, every culture has a cultural narrative, right? So in more traditional cultures um, around the world, up until the modern West, it was basically you were identified, you were, you were defined by being a good family member, being a good member of your community. It was much more communal, right? It was uh, providing for the, the place that you live in, providing for your family. Well, obviously, we've seen in the modern West, the cultural narrative is not communal, but it's about me. It's about making my dreams come true, right? What gives me an identity as a person is creating my truth, like you mentioned earlier, looking inside myself as my deepest desires and going out and achieving those things. That's what that's what our our narrative post every day on social media. Exactly. Now, in the example you gave, their culture said, hey, the hero is actually the warrior, right? It's the person that has the power. Okay, that's a different narrative, right? So the way that you, again, I think when people think of contextualization, and I don't th- I think it can be this, they think of watering down the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you don't change the explicit truth of the gospel, but how you get there is different in every culture. So uh, Acts 17 is a great example. Paul goes to Athens, right? And he's front of the... The Erepegus, I think is how you say that. Um, so he goes to where these Greek philosophers are debating, and these Stoics are debating. Well, he had just previously gone to the synagogues and talked about Jesus through the Old Testament, through the scriptures, right? Because yeah. they're Jews, yeah. they know the Old yeah. Testament. Well, when you go to the Greeks, they don't know the Old Testament. So what does he do? He go, he talks about creation. He show he talks about this unknown God that they had in an object, and they and he said. If God really created everything, if there is a God, he couldn't actually fit in this object, right? right? And he actually quotes in Acts 17, he quotes two different poets, Greek poets. Okay, so what's Paul doing? He's actually using their language to not change the gospel. He eventually gets to Jesus in the gospel, but he's using it in, in terms they understand, right? So I think you have to then analyze our culture and you have to say, what does our culture idolize? What and then you have to go, what is the you have to show them the futility of um, the idols of our culture? Show them that it's actually not going to give them what they think it's going to give them, and then show them why Jesus is better. Um, real quick, there was a um, uh, Blaise Pascal, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was a 17th century um, mathematician and physicist, really brilliant dude. He became a Christian, died at an early age, but he actually started writing about apologetics, and he said, um, Show them that Christianity is reasonable and respectable, that it's not just blind faith. Then show them that they wish it was true. Show them why it's beautiful. So then they would go, man, it'd be great if this was true. This is awesome. And then show them why it is true. Wow. <laughs> I love so it's, it's, it's really yep. good. So he basically yep. said, show them it's reasonable and respectable. And we can get into that in a second. And then show them it's beautiful that, man, they wish it was true. And then yeah. the, the objection is like, man, what a shame it's ac- not actually true. I wish this was true. Yeah, yeah. And then show them why it's true. Yeah, yeah. right. So I think that's more of an emotional apologetics. I think we think of apologetics as like, let me show you why the Bible is true. And I think that's necessary. Yes. Um, the, the events of the resurrection, the historical evidence, like that's all true. Right. But I think in today's culture, we have to sort of start with a little different approach of, Let's show the futility of our idols in in our culture. Let's show them emotionally. Let's so, show them psychologically why it won't actually work, yeah. and then show them why Christianity is true.
1: And I think until somebody actually sees their need, right? You know, because I remember before I trusted Christ in my life as a teenager. I, at first, I had people who were trying to tell me about the gospel. I didn't want to hear it. It wasn't in my margin. You know, I had no yeah. margin for it to hear the message. Right. But there was that time, and it was when the Holy Spirit connected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, why didn't I believe this before? You know, because I saw the need. I saw my desperate need myself. And and that's something that really, I think Adrian Rogers said, anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. It's not just about talking and giving, like you said, there's the truth of the gospel, what needs to be presented, but it's
0: also allowing the Holy Spirit to communicate that and giving margin for the Holy Spirit to do that. Yeah. And that needs to be said. Obviously, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the eyes of his heart were enlightened to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, right? So there's a certain, there's a, there's obviously a supernatural work that has to happen for somebody to see the beauty of Christ. Um, but in terms of just how you get there, right? If somebody doesn't want something to be true, it doesn't matter if you show them it's true, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's sort of the, the yeah. Pascal thing. Is yeah. like yeah. Show them that what they're believing in life is actually not uh, going to give them what they're looking for. And then show them that Christian, man, it'd be great if, look how beautiful Christianity is. It's actually yeah. beautiful and you wish it was true and then show them why it's true. Yeah. So I think that's it's well, sort of uh, the, the. Are there the,
1: some concerns when seeking to
0: contextualize the gospel that we need to discuss yeah. as we look at it? Care no, on? absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can become so the downside of whenever you uh, change language or use different means to get to another end. Yeah, there's always a risk of you're actually watering down the truth that, you know, the truth of the gospel is you're a sinner that can't save yourself, and you're actually dead in your sins, as Ephesians 2 says, but that by grace you have been saved, and it's a gift from God. It's Jesus coming to you, putting on flesh, living the life that you couldn't live, dying the death that you actually deserve, um, and then... By putting your faith in him, you're accepted by God in Jesus Christ, right? So it's like, if you don't get to that explicit truth, you, yes, there is a risk of, especially now with all the self-help and the you can do it. And um, you know, again, the, our, uh, the way that our culture speaks, certainly there's a risk in if you adopt too much of that language and you mix it in with the explicit truth of the gospel, absolutely there's a risk in watering it down.
1: Ryan, as we start to wrap up the show today, I kind of want to go back to the heart of the parents, those who have set the example of the gospel in their home, have lived it out faithfully, shared with their kids, but they see their kids drifting away from the faith as they move into college and owning with their life as they get older. Yeah. Speak to that parent and give them some encouragement. What can they do? I mean, how
0: can they keep those communication lines open? That's a great question. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> the answer is show them Jesus, Jesus is the most beautiful person that's ever lived. Um, He is glorious. um, And ultimately, again, if you're showing them who Jesus is with your actions, right? This command I give to you to love one another, that's how people are going to know you're my disciples. So ultimately, whether they're following Jesus or not right now, it's, man, I'm going to show them Jesus through how I love them, how I care for them, how I serve them. And then ultimately, I'm going to, figure out, uh, I think we can take some of this, um, looking at their lives, what are they going after, right? Like, what are they, um, you know, Leslie, I don't know if I mentioned Leslie Newbegin earlier or not, but, um, and he was a missionary, very, very smart um, evangelist. And he basically said that if you look at our parents' generation, they grew up in a culture that sort of had the religious dots, right? Even if you weren't a Christian or you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you still believe in God. You still believe in an afterlife. You still believed in that life's about being a good person. Again, our culture shifted where kids aren't having those religious dots anymore. And so I think what you have to look at is there's nobody neutral in life. Like You can say you're an atheist and you can say you're secular, or you don't, you're not religious, but ultimately you are religious because worshiping something just means you place something preeminent in your life. Yeah, You find your value, your meaning in life, your, uh, it's what you live for. Right. Everybody does that. Yeah. You can't be human without that. So everybody worships something. So again, as you're thinking about conversations with your kids, asking them like, what, what do you think the meaning of life is? What do you think your purpose is here? Right. And showing them that ultimately whatever they think can satisfy them is ultimately going to end up being empty, right? You're just going to be, I hate to say it, a servant, a slave of whatever master you have in this world. Jesus is the only master that loves you because of what he did for you. He came to you and died for you and gave up his life for you and saved you by grace, And he's the only master that can forgive you. He's the only master that actually served you and not you just spending your life serving it. So it's, again, first of all, showing them Jesus by your actions, your words, your love, your your kindness towards them. But then ultimately, uh, not giving them religion, but giving them the true gospel of grace, I think. I love that. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, right? (laughs) Amen. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
1: Right, Abone, this has been great. We're going to have to— get back together regularly and yeah. talk about issues facing young adults. I love and to. I'm so glad that we got together. Okay. So you are the uh, young adults director at Mission Church. Yes. If folks want to connect with you, find out more information, maybe something that, about the conversation that we've been having, what can they do to reach
0: out to you? Um, so on Instagram, the the I would say the young adults page is probably the best way. It's at uh, the house 901. The houses just are like Fun name for the ministry, but um, that's at the house 901 is where we kind of post stuff for the ministry and our events. Now, y'all meet regularly, don't you? Yeah, we meet every Tuesday night. Um, we have a couple weeks till we start the spring semester again, but yeah, if you're 18 to 29 in the Memphis area, or if you know somebody that's that age and they're looking for a place to, again, we, we want to be a place, Mission Church too, it's not just our ministry. We want to be a place that invites people who have questions. Um, that's a big part of my testimony. Is i I never want to be a I never want to have a ministry or lead a ministry that um, you know looks down on people for asking questions about Jesus or the Bible. Or no. um, we want to be a place that opens the doors for that. Now we're always going to contend for what we believe, sure. right? That's Jude one three. Contend for what the, has once and for all been delivered to the saints. So we contend for the faith, but we we want to. Contextualize. Okay. We want to ask. What, you know, we want to be a place that allows questions so about. So you Jesus. can drop a
1: message there, and then you have a personal email address people can send something to.
0: Yeah, um, at Ryan. Uh, I just got a new email with the mission shirts. It's uh, at Ryan. Okay, so my old email, it'll go to that. dot A-B-O-N-E, at highpointmemphis.com. Okay. I don't want to get my new email. We literally just got it like yesterday. So, so I don't you want will it to, learn it. Next time you come, you have your I will name. know my new email. That's yeah, fantastic. absolutely.
1: <laughs> hey, Ryan, thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. For exceptional coffee and a place to meet in town, experience the difference at The Hub. Inside Mission Church, just off I-240 Popper at Ridgeway, 6000 Briarcrest Avenue. Convenient parking, comfy seating, and exceptional service. 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, 8 to 7 Saturdays, closed Sunday. The Hub Coffee is the best.